All right, we're going to talk about uh, a subject that probably is not high on your list of things you would have thought to talk about, and yet I believe it's high on God's list of things to talk about, nurturing the anointing. And, you know, the word anointing, I know, is not part of probably your vocabulary. It's probably not one of the things that you talk about with your friends but really it is the key to so much of walking with Jesus and being a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so we, we have to really talk about this early on. In fact, the whole rest of basic teaching on how to follow Jesus is going to be how to nurture the anointing. So we really need to explain this real quick. And uh, the anointing. Okay, Jesus is called the Christ. It's, Christ is not his last name. It's his title. He's the one anointed to be king. That's the, what, the meaning of the word Christ. So, And we saw that his kingship is not a power and might kingship. Okay, it's a by my spirit kingship. So he's a king different than other kings. He works by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's his power. He's, he's more powerful than John the Baptist because he will come and he will baptize people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the, it's almost a definition of his power. Um, and so he is baptized with the Holy Spirit and anointed with the Holy Spirit, and that's where his kingship begins and he begins to minister the power of the king. Well, then what he does is he turns right around and he gives that anointing to his disciples and he begins to train them in how to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's training them in kingdom ways. Do you, you get this? The anointing is the power of the Holy Spirit, the whole presence, the inner awareness that the Holy Spirit is inside us and he's beginning to, to get us into the kingdom of God. It's the power of God to transform our own lives so that we are operating out of the kingdom of God and not just out of worldly understandings of things, worldly ways of doing things. Jesus has his own way of doing things and it's a by my spirit way. This is really basic and really important. So what does the anointing of the Holy Spirit do for us? What can we expect of it? Why does Jesus operate out of this? We need to get some perspective from the scriptures right now. And uh, so 1 John chapter 2, verse 26 to 27 is, is a good place to begin, where he actually uses the word anointing. That's why I've chosen this one right here. Uh, so let's read it. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So what, what John is saying here is, Jesus gives a real anointing. It is reliable. Jesus is giving the Holy Spirit to take everything that belongs to us, 
Bring it into our hearts and lives and make it real on the inside. That's the anointing. And it is reliable. In other words, we we don't really need teachers and preachers. God provides teachers and preachers because they're operating in the Holy Spirit too. And so we can we can receive from teachers and preachers. But suppose you were all by yourself on a on an island somewhere there would still be the Holy Spirit. You see what I'm saying? It's like God uses other people in ministry. Um, Ephesians uh, 4, he uh, provides apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints and for the work of ministry and so on. But bottom line is the Holy Spirit is the way he will protect us from deception, from false teaching. That's what John is saying. The Holy Spirit's real. And the Holy Spirit is faithful. And if we open our lives to the Holy Spirit, this anointing that we have through him will protect us, will minister truth into our hearts. That is what he's saying. So, yeah, it's important for us to go to church. It's important for us to receive the teaching and so on. Yet more important is for us to learn how to nurture the anointing. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, go back to the scriptures and we'll, we'll see that the real hope here is what God has done. Jesus, when he ascended to the Father, the first thing he did was he poured out this anointing for those who surrender their lives and who asks for it, and then we can we can begin that walk of walking in the anointing of God. Second passage here is Second Corinthians three sixteen. So let's turn to that. Uh, this is this is from the Apostle Paul. So um, the the apostles use different language, but yet it, they're saying the same thing. So here's, uh, starting at verse 16, for, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 16. Why don't you look on with me? But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, let's unpack this a little bit. First of all, there is a veil of deception over our minds. And we have to, we have to get free of that veil, which is, which is making it hard for us to encounter God, to see Jesus, to, to, to walk with him. And so the Holy Spirit removes this like a spiritual veil. And, uh, and what was only uh, hearsay uh, before, suddenly it becomes real because the veil is removed. And uh, then the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So there is, a, there is a bondage that happens because of deception. And as the, the veil is removed, and as the truth of what, who God is and what he has done and all of these things of the new covenant and the kingdom of God, as these things are ministered into our spirit, the practical result of this 
is that we are freed from bondage, you know, like addiction, like bondage to people, uh, bondage to fear, bondage to all kinds of things. The Lord wants to free us, okay, from from all manner of uh, of deception leading to slavery. Okay, so then the purpose of the, the removing the veil is to give us freedom. Then we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. So we're able to sense and see with our spiritual eyes and sense with the eyes of our hearts uh, new things that suddenly seem a lot more real and a lot more wonderful than uh, when we were just being churchgoers or when we were just kind of walking out there in the world thinking uh, worldly thoughts. Um, the, the Holy Spirit, the anointing, will make this real, and we will be transformed ourselves. We become different people, um, more and more Christ-like, okay, transforming us into the image of Jesus. And so this happens by degrees with ever-increasing degrees of glory. So it's a, it's, a, it's a gradual thing. It's a growing into the realities of the kingdom. It won't be sudden right at first. Everything changes, miracles, and it, we have to, to recognize that God is going to introduce us to things by degrees. And we'll move from precept to precept, from glory to glory. So that's, that's the way it's going to be. But the anointing, if we nurture it, will move us in these directions that Paul is describing for us. Okay, then let's look at John 17. So John, uh, the Gospel of John. And, uh, and, and here I think is, is a, it's, it's an important thing for us to realize what Jesus' ultimate goal is for us. Uh, it doesn't specifically talk about the anointing, but it is Jesus... This is his last prayer request. This is his final thing before he died. And he's telling us what his hope is, what his goal is, what he wants more than anything. And um, so let's, let's look at John 17, 25 and 26. Um, John 17, 25 and 26. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you that you have sent me, meaning his disciples. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So if you, if you, you look at the whole flow of thought and prayer, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, you'll see that the anointing of the Holy Spirit leads finally to this conclusion, that the love of God the Father that he had for the Son will be the same love that we experience, so he's going to treat us like sons and daughters. He's gonna, it's like we are, we are treated with the same intense uh uh, affection and uh, respect and with uh, just all of the deep, intimate love that God had for the Son, Jesus, Yeshua, he's going to have that same love for us. 
And we, become, we, we, we rise up into that place in the household of God, in the family of God. That's where this is all taking us. That's the ultimate hope of Jesus. He wants this. This is his prayer. And, and so knowing the love of the Father the way he knows the love of the Father. Now, before we go any farther, I'd better, I'd better deal with an issue. Some people especially those like with alcoholic fathers or who have had fathers who really, um, uh, they, they suffered violence from their dads. Um, and they're going to come up with uh, the point. Uh, it doesn't look like God the Father loved Jesus all that much. Look what he made Jesus go through and he allowed his son to be crucified, apparently wanted him to be crucified. And what kind of love is that? You know, if that's, if that's the Father's love, then I don't want any part of it. You know, there are some people who are going to see that because of their own experience with violent fathers, if you, if you see what I'm saying here. So we need to answer that question. We need, we need to address that. And... Uh, um, the problem here is that we're seeing through a slant of our own experience, which is not accurate. In other words, we're seeing through twisted a twisted perspective that comes from our own experience of violence and um, poor fathering. And so let's look at Hebrews uh, verse chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, verse 2. This is um, yet another author in, in, in the scriptures. Okay, this is, I believe it's Barnabas who wrote Hebrews because the early church fathers said it was Barnabas. And uh, so here's, um, here's what Barnabas is saying. Um, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, verse 1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God so what he's saying here is that Jesus was not suffering from doubt about the love of God in fact, there was joy set before him because he knew why God was allowing him to go through this. And he knew that this was a temporary situation leading to greater good. So now let's, let's move yet further to uh, Psalm 22. Uh, and we'll see how, how this is borne out in Jesus' actual life. Um, Psalm 22 is a prophetic messianic psalm that actually describes Jesus' death. And uh, Jesus quoted this psalm, and the psalm actually describes him as he's dying on the cross. So Jesus quoted the psalm not because he was in despair about the absence of God and how could God do this 
to me and where is God's love and all of those kinds of things, he is quoting the psalm because he knows that he's fulfilling the psalm. Okay, so here's, here's what the psalm says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I find no rest. And then it goes on. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. Dogs surround me, verse 16. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. And it goes on from there to describe God delivering him. And then all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over nations and so on. And so he's aware that he's fulfilling the beginning of the psalm, but then also the end of the psalm. So he knew the psalm. There's no question about that. And the psalm ends in victory. So he's quoting the psalm from the cross, not as a cry of despair, but as an awareness that he's fulfilling the psalm. You see, he's the king. He is the one who is doing what the king has to do in order to gain dominion over all the earth. And that's, of course, exactly what is going to happen. After he's paid the price, God is going to resurrect him, and then there's going to be an ascension to the right hand of the Father, and then he's going to receive all authority and power in heaven and on earth. And he's then finally going to come back and demonstrate the absolute victory of the king over the God of this world, who is Satan. Okay, now let's let's tell another story. Um, this this is designed to demonstrate why we need the anointing. Okay, God God is is wanting us to come into the same love that Jesus experienced, even on the cross. And uh, the, the assurance that after Jesus was, was, was paying the price, that he would receive an enormous reward. And, you know, one of the promises in, in Hebrews 12 is, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So it's, it's true for all of us. God is a rewarder. And in the end, he wants us to do heroic things. You know, there's more to life than just, being entertained and having a good time and laughing a lot. Um, the kingdom of God is a worthy uh, and ultimate destiny, and and we can, can we can can place ourselves in that destiny. We have a destiny for that. It may involve picking up our own cross. There may be sacrifices. Um, there may be suffering. But there's more to life than just having a good time and laughing a lot. Okay, what, what we're saying here is that God loves us enough to give us a high calling. You know, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. There's more to life than what we see around us um, accumulating 
big houses, three-car garages, swimming pools in the backyard, and so on. There's, there's greater things to be accomplished in life. And so God loves us enough to call us into these high things, and then he gives us an anointing so that we can achieve these things and end our lives knowing that we served a great purpose. And so um, the story here is about um, Neil Anderson. Neil Anderson is the guy, uh, he's a fictional character. He's the guy in The Matrix, the film The Matrix. Maybe you remember that, 1999 was when that came out. And uh, he's a guy who's a, a hacker. Uh, he works for, uh, doing computer type stuff for some kind of a some kind of a business or organization or corporation or something, you know, he's, he's in this little cubicle with all these other computer guys. And, uh, and he's, he's, he's just doing this, and suddenly he's being warned by a message coming up on his computer, you need to get out of the room right now because they're going to come in and arrest you. Well, he doesn't know what this is all about, but he looks up over all the barriers uh, uh, that separate his little cubicle from the others, and he sees that indeed there are some rather evil-looking people dressed in black, and it looks like they might be coming after him, and he begins to, to, to wonder about this, and finally, just in the nick of time, he makes his escape, and through, you know, different uh, eventualities, uh, he ends up meeting with a guy named Morpheus, and Morpheus is going to tell him uh, an amazing tale, you know, that it's like uh, the whole world is under deception, a matrix of deception that is being programmed into people by computers that have taken over the world. This happened a long time ago. So now um, the whole world is just it's in like a sleepwalk. Everything seems real, but it's not. It's, be, it's being programmed into people's heads by these computers. And uh, there is a rebellion against the computers, um, but um, you have to realize that you yourself are, are under this deception. And if you want to find proof of this deception, you, you, you need to take this red pill and um, if, you, if you're not interested in finding out about uh, the reality of this massive deception that's all around and that it is it's enslaving all of the people of the world, well, you can just take the blue pill. Presumably that means he'll forget all about Morpheus, forget about all of the encounters, and will just go back to normal life. Well, he decides to take the red pill, and suddenly um, we're, we're aware of this massive like a uh, computer thing with, uh, with uh, like a computer, whatever you call it, uh, that goes into his brain and is feeding all of this information into his brain. It's a spiritual um, intrusion into his brain that's coming from these computers. Well, he gets rescued from this, and he gets uh, taken off into this team of people who are going to teach him what the truth is and uh, show him powers uh, that he didn't have before. And uh, he's going he's gonna to walk like real human beings in a real world of freedom 
and power. And uh, so the rest of the story is, is about him uh, joining this team and, and opposing the computers. Well, <laughs> well, the reason I'm bringing this up is this is, a, this is an accurate picture of the world as the Bible describes it. You know, we are in a world full of deception, ruled over by a being called the deceiver. And Jesus is coming back one day to deliver us from this deceiver and putting the deceiver into a a prison called the abyss. Doesn't sound like a very nice place. And, and, And so that the nations of the world will no longer be under that deception. In the meantime, since we're not at that place yet, Jesus is pouring out the Holy Spirit as a way of delivering us from deception and ministering into our hearts the truth that will set us free. So, I mean, this is real. I mean, this is, the world really is like this. And we we are under deception, but he is giving us a release from that deception if you're willing to believe in it. And the only way to find out how real the deception is, is to say, yeah, I'm going to try this. It's like our first steps of faith are like taking the red pill. And the only way to find out how true this is and to walk into the new reality of the kingdom of God is to actually walk into it. You can't figure it out in your head beforehand. You have to surrender your life and you have to ask for the Holy Spirit and then you will begin to receive the truth that will set you free. And it's through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. That's the only way it works. And you have to, you have to get into it. It's like taking the red pill. It's, it's, a, it's an irreversible um, journey that Jesus is calling you on. So nurturing the anointing is really what it's all about. Uh, It's more than going to church. It's nurturing the anointing that will actually minister the kingdom of God into your heart, your mind, your life, and it will transform you. It will make you free. It will give you new powers that you never knew you had before. All of those things happen as a result of nurturing the anointing. So that's what we're going to be uh, talking about for the next several lessons in the series.